Welcome to the Six Figure Product Biz Podcast. I'm Carrie, a product-based business coach. I started, scaled, and sold a successful multi-six-figure e-commerce business, and now I love teaching entrepreneurs like you how to start, grow, and scale your dream product business. I'm obsessed with all things marketing, e-commerce, and business, and I cannot wait to share all my secrets with you. I also love all things dogs and coffee. Each week, you'll learn step-by-step tangible strategies to help you scale to the next level in your business, skyrocket your sales and traffic, reach more customers, and gain greater visibility in your business. Because I know you don't want to waste your time or energy trying to figure it out all on your own, but you want the business growth roadmap so you can create a profitable product business that gives you the life you love. Whether you're thinking of starting a product biz or scaling yours, this podcast is the secret sauce to making all those dreams come true. So grab your coffee and your favorite notepad and let's get started. What is going on, my friends? Welcome to this week's episode of the Six Figure Product Business Podcast. Uh, This week, we are having a great guest on. We have Christina Vanacore, who is the founder of the Product Doula, and she's also the host of the Product Doula Presents podcast. She is a certified launch and business strategist exclusively for female product-based business owners, and she specializes in coordinating the logistics of bringing products to market and helping founders thrive in business after the launch phase. So in this episode, we are we talk about a couple different topics, but what we're actually talking the most of is something that I know you need help with, and that is pricing your products for profit, some strategies on how to make money in your business be, by having the right price for your product. So it's something that I know people struggle with. I got a lot of questions about that. And we started to the conversation around launching, and then we sort of actually ended up talking a little bit more on the pricing part. And I think that's such an important thing for your business. So grab your coffee, grab your wine. It's going to be a great episode. Christine is amazing, and you're going to learn a lot. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. This has been a long time coming. I feel like we recorded our episode for mine months ago. <laughs> I know. I'm excited. Uh, Before we dive in, just let everyone know what you do, how you help people. Sure. So I am a certified launch and business strategist for female founders for product-based businesses. So I work with clients from really ideation through launch and beyond, I say. So you come to me when you have your manufacturer in place, and I will help you build the foundation of your business bring that product to market, launch it, and then grow into whatever direction you're really looking for. Because everyone comes to me with like a different idea or a different plan of where they're going with their business. And then it seems that once they launch that, that plan kind of goes out the window. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And how long have you, have you, have you had your own product business? I'm just curious how you kind of got into this line of work. So I do not have my own product business. And I say it's because I'm not creative enough. Like I have these ideas that I'm like, oh yeah, this would be amazing if we made it, but someone else will do it. So I'll just wait and help them then. Um, But the way I got into it was a really targeted Facebook ad, honestly. Um, I worked in corporate America for 20 years. And the last six years of the business that I was working, I was working in a international manufacturer and distributor for optical wear. and. I I loved what I did there. Um, I had my hands in a lot of the different departments and working in QA and QC with like technical mechanical parts. 
I was counting inventory when it was inventory count day, which is the worst day ever. Uh, when you're in a big organization like that, uh, helping the sales team, doing just a lot of the logistics planning. And I went through years of fertility treatments to have my son, who's now six. And he was like eight weeks old. I was nursing in the middle of the night, fighting postpartum anxiety and woke my husband up and was like, I can't go back to work. And he's like, okay, and how are you going to make money? I was like, I have no idea, but the mommy bloggers tell me I can do it. So the mommy bloggers. Oh my God. Um, so, you know, I'm on funny. Pinterest, I'm on Google, I'm Googling all of the things like, how do you make money online? Like, how do you stay home with your kids? Because so many people are, you know, saying that you can do it. And I get a Facebook ad that pops up, like become a certified product launch strategist. Oh. And I'm like, wow. okay, that sounds interesting. It was like some sort of crazy discounted deal through like Coursera and I'm like, all right, let me sign up for it. It was a six-month program. Hmm. Dive in, went through it, and loved it. It was everything that I loved about what I was doing at my corporate job without having to work, you know, nine to five, nine to ten sometimes. <laughs> and it was going to allow me the ability to stay home with my son. I started, though, because I wasn't – I didn't know at the time, like, should I niche down to product? Like, do I just say I'm a product-based business, you know, strategist? Or do I just become like an overall business strategist? I had my hands in so many different businesses and so many different positions working in corporate for so long that mm. I'm like, I feel like I can help really, you know, anybody's business. And I soon realized, as most people do, that if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. And yeah. so the first three years that I had my business, that I'm going to be in business for five years this October. Mm. Um Congrats. The first three years, I was fractional COO, and I worked in a different corporations and I, you know, different organizations and fractional COO. And I had my first product based business come to me and was like, this is where we're at. Like, we just don't even know what we don't know. Like, how do we bring this product to market? Like, I got the manufacturer, I got the Shopify store, but I, I don't know where to go from here. And so I was like, great. Sure, let's work together, work together, charge them like next to nothing because I didn't even know how to price my services at that point and fell in love with it and decided I was like, no, there is definitely a space for what I do and what I offer. And I can just serve product based business owners. And that's kind of the gist of how it went. And now it's been really great. The messaging is easier, the branding is easier, everything's easier now that I've niched down for sure. Yeah, definitely. Even I find within the physical product space, there are so many words that people use to talk about what they sell. So for my business, I really hone in on the words e-commerce. But when I actually ask people and I ask people all the time, how do you call, what do you call your business? Do you say product-based? Do you say e-commerce? Do you say uh, handmade maker? And like everyone has different things. I think with like Etsy people, I think they definitely identify more with the maker. So for my messaging, I never, and just for whatever reason, I never like intentionally target makers or handmade. I sort of say, I help you grow your e-commerce store and sort of whatever that means. But it can be really challenging because people, it, like with subscription box, subscription box business, it's super specific. It's one word. But when you're saying product or product-based or e-commerce, different people sort of associate with different things and that can be really challenging. So I think it's cool that you 
have just sort of continued to work on the messaging and targeting because that is a really challenging part of having a business when you are trying to target a lot of people you you really do end up speaking to no one and what especially you know you got targeted with an ad and it worked for you it was like I forget what you said exactly, but hey, do you want to be a launch strategist and you know make money working from home and you know all the and those people have gotten really good at targeting the new mom. I feel like one hundred percent it feels a little predatory, but you know it's it got you where you are, so it's all good. It's all exactly, good. and you know it was a legitimate program that I did. Like I said, it was yeah. through like Coursera, <laughs> so it was a legitimate gotcha. program. It wasn't one of those like get rich quick schemes because I feel like that's what I originally was getting targeted with. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I could make more than I make in my corporate job. And my husband's like, yeah, you can. I was like, yeah, working like two hours a day. No, that's Uh, not not a true story. (laughs) Fake news (laughs) for sure. Oh my gosh. I love it. Um, Okay. So you have your business, you help people sort of get their product up off the ground, what are some, I would love to hear, I want to hear about some of the people that you work with, but in some of the challenges that people face when they're thinking of starting a product-based business. But I would love to know too, what are some of the mistakes that people are making when they're coming to you? They might have an idea. Like I know before we started recording, I was telling you, I really have this vision of doing a a, pro- a physical product targeted exclusively to paddleboarders or like stand-up paddleboarders or kayakers. And I know what to do because I've I've had a product-based business, but I know so many people when they're getting started, they have no idea what to do. They make a ton of mistakes and then they go and find the coach or the mentor to help fix all the mistakes that they've made. So what are some of the mistakes that people are making when they have an idea for a product and they try to do it themselves and then they come and find you and they're like, shoot, Christina, help. I bought too much inventory. My website sucks. What are the mistakes people are making? Yeah. So... It's interesting because there's definitely those mistakes that you you just named. You know, I bought too much inventory mm. or my website sucked because I didn't buy a Shopify theme or I didn't work with a Shopify designer. But the bigger mistakes that I'm seeing are the people who, you know, have that the I I don't know what I don't know, right? So, for instance, I had a client who they were designing packaging for their product <clears throat> and they didn't take into account that there's legal That has to go on packaging if you're looking to go into retail, right? So you need to have specific language on some of this packaging. But they didn't know that because they're new to the product space. They've Mm -hmm. never sold in a retail location. And so I'm looking at the packaging that they're, you know, designing and I'm like, it's gorgeous. But have you run this by legal? Have you had your legal team take a look at this? Do you know what kind of warnings you have to have on there? Mm. Well, it turned out that there was a whole lot of legal that they needed on their particular product. And so the design had to be completely chalked and started from scratch. So Mm. it's things like that, or, you know, not understanding the quality assurance and quality control project process for your manufacturer. So if you have a manufacturer that you're working with or a drop shipper or whoever, understanding what their process is internally from a quality assurance and quality control. Because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily their name that people are going to remember when the product goes. It's your brand. So they're going to say, oh, no, you know, Kerry's project was not what I was looking for. They're not going to say, oh, Alibaba sold her a bad product, right? They're Mm -hmm. not looking at it in that sense. 
And so really having a good understanding and knowing that you can push back. Like if you get a product in your hand, two of my clients who would spend a lot of money in manufacturing and development, they got their product, their initial run, and it was not what it was supposed to be. You know, there was problems with it. And I said, you have to push back. At this point, they have to fix it for you. You can, you know, whether it's a refund or they send it to another manufacturer that they have partners with, because all these manufacturers know each other, especially if you're doing it domestically, and push back and say, like, no, this is not what we spoke about. This is not what my product is. Hold on to those prototypes that you're like initially getting so that you can go back and show them like, this is what we approve. This is not what I have in my hand right now. Mm-hmm. And your launch, I did a, a funny reel a few months ago in Julie Andrews from The Princess Diaries, like how the queen is never late. Everyone else is just early. And the same thing applies for your launch, mm-hmm. right? No one else knows that your launch is supposed to be happening today other than like me and you normally, right? If you're working with a launch yeah. consultant. Unless for some reason, which I never advise anyone doing, you're announcing the date before you have product in hand. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason why you can't push your launch back several weeks if the product's not well. You're better off putting out like your ideal product, the perfect item, Mm -hmm. than to put out something that's going to get potentially a bad review. I always use the example of like 10 people go to a restaurant, nine of them walk out and say it was wonderful. That 10th person walks out and says, I just saw a roach coming out of the kitchen. Chances are you're not walking into that restaurant and eating, right? And so it's the same thing when you're launching a product. Nine people can be raving about it and being like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. But one person has a terrible experience when you're a small business and you're just starting out that can take down your entire brand really quickly. Gotcha. Can we just backtalk a little bit? Because you were talking about quality control. And I want to kind of talk about that because I think for some people listening, they might not even know what that means. And I think for some people, if they are, you know, again, they're getting a product from Alibaba, they're white, maybe white labeling it. They're just taking a product that already like, let's use, um, I'm trying to think of something in my office. I always use water bottles as examples. I'm like, I need a different example. Let's say scrunchie. You make, you want to make scrunchies. You want to create this fun vibe. You want to do neutral scrunchies that are like boho vibe, blah, 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 blah. And they already exist. So you go to Alibaba, you find some, you order, you get samples. So is quality control from your perspective from like a a reseller going to be different than um, when you, and I know you know, obviously if you invent a product, you're going to do the prototyping and all that kind of stuff. What's the difference for people doing quality control for like those two different examples? Because I know a lot of people listening there, they may not be the the one that is like creating a product from absolute scratch. They're probably going to be taking a scrunchie that already exists and just white labeling it, or they're going to be taking a phone pouch for paddle boarders and just taking one that already exists, but maybe, you know, changing the color and, and, you know, adding their logo and things like that. So what would be the difference between that person and then a person who's like inventing a product, prototyping, all that kind of stuff when it comes to quality control? Can you do it on your own? Does it have to be formally checked? Like walk us through what that looks like. So it depends on really what the product is, whether or not it needs to be formally checked, because there are certain products that you're selling them. And this is where, you know, I would always advise someone to speak with legal for any product that they're bringing to market to understand, are there specifics that are needed for this particular 
product that I want to put there, even mm-hmm. if you're white labeling it, because there are certain things that they're selling overseas because Alibaba is coming from overseas, which is fantastic. And that's how they keep their price point low. But what is good for Europe might not necessarily be good for the US. You know, there's different standards for every country. So understanding that um, when you have the product, you know, in hand, if say you don't need to, so say you're doing a scrunchie, more than likely there is nothing specific here from a legal use standpoint that you need to look at. But now you're wanting to set the quality and what do you say is quality for you? You know, are you okay with maybe there not being enough give on it? Or is this something that you're like, no, you specifically said it's going to stretch to, you know, 10 centimeters. This is only stretching to eight centimeters. This isn't going to work for me. So -hmm. those are the kind of things. And then what I would advise is having a checklist so that every order comes through with your checklist items of what is quality for us and what are we willing to put our name on and sell it. Because even if you're white labeling, again, it's still your name on that product. Um, For someone who now is manufacturing a product and they've invented a product, that is a little bit different because one, if you're an inventor, There are patents in place, so you need to make sure that you're matching your patent and your patent-specific items because Mm -hmm. that's going to control whether or not someone's going to be able to knock you off. Um, There also now is going to be manufacturing quality control and quality assurance. So that's where I was talking about, you know, you have the prototype. You usually get like a small batch made up so that you can see like what the quality is. Understanding most manufacturers are going to have a list of what they consider their quality assurance check before they mail out the product to you or ship the product to you. Um, And really understanding what that is. And then if you pick up your batch or your batch gets shipped to you for that first order for your first minimum quantity, if Mm. it's not what what it's supposed to be you call up them immediately. You're calling immediately. This is not the shipment that we agreed on. This is not, these are the reasons. Take photographs to make sure you're documenting it and then go back to them. More than likely, I would say probably 9.9 times out of 10, the manufacturer is going to make it right for you because they want to you know, have a long-time relationship with you and they know that your initial batch is only your first order and hopefully you're going to sell out that initial batch very quickly and you're going to place bigger orders and bigger POs as you continue to grow. Okay. I love that. And then when people are in this you know, early stages of like manufacturing or getting inventory overseas or even domestically, Um, what are some of the things like best practices that you advise people? So maybe it could be something around the minimum order quantity that you should, you know, be targeting. Cause I know one of the mistakes, you know, when I was starting my business, I was very conservative with inventory. I didn't buy a lot. I bought, you know, a really small amount, but when I work with people, sometimes, um, question when they're launching like a new product or something, they say, Oh, you know, I can get this, I can get, if I buy 500, then I get a discount of like 10% off. And I'm like, oh my God, no, don't do that. Like you don't know if people want to buy that yet. So just as an example, um, but what are some of the things that when people are, you know, they have the manufacturer, they have some product, they're in that early stage of like pre-launching, but still getting some of those foundational things up and ready, um, up and running. What are some of the things that you would recommend for them to be looking at to, to do or... I don't know. What are some of the important things? So understanding your minimum order quantity, 
um, is so important, whether it's manufacturing or you're bringing it in from overseas. Because as you mentioned, you don't know if this product is going to sell. So Mm -hmm. yes, that 10% off sounds fabulous at 500 pieces. But where are you housing those 500 pieces? Like, does your child bedroom now become your warehouse and you don't sell for months? And now, again, it's sitting in your child's bedroom. Um, You know, that's something that you want to look at. Don't always, you know, get caught up in the shiny object syndrome because people have a tendency to do that even in the product space because it's like, well, I could order this in an assortment of 20 colors and then I get a discount or I can just offer it in two colors. But what if not everybody just likes these two colors? You're yeah. better off making sure that the product as it's, as its product for what it's used for sells before you put out an assortment of 50 shades of colors. Not every person is going to sell. You don't know what your best seller is going to be. Get to know your customers. Get to know the people that are looking at your product before you make those decisions. A lot of times, if it's something like that, you know, in a pre-pre-launch space, we'll go ahead and I'll say, start surveying the people that are following you on Instagram. Start surveying the people following you on TikTok or wherever you're hanging out. Ask them, like, we're trying to determine the colors and we're going to have two to three different colors what are your favorites? And then you can make an informed decision as opposed to just guessing that every color of the rainbow needs to be part of your packaging or part of your portfolio of product. Mm-hmm. Another thing to look at is your cost. When you're starting to calculate your pricing, there's a difference between what your cost of good is versus what your all-in cost. And a lot of times what happens is, is that people are just focused on the cost, cost of good. So I have a minimum order quantity of 100 they're $10 each. So that must mean that my selling price has to be, you know, $30 in order for me to make $20 on each item. And it's like, that's fantastic. Is that going to help you though, order the quantity and pay yourself? Because if you're not paying yourself, this is just a really expensive hobby at this point, right? And you're all in expenses because there's marketing expense, there's packaging expense. There's so many different expenses that go into launching a product. And I hope I'm not scaring anybody talking about this, but you <laughs> will learn quickly if that's something that you're considering doing. There's a lot of expenses that go in. And so you want to have that and you want to work with someone who can help you calculate what is the proper selling price for your product. Mm-hmm. And doing your market research, understand what is already out there. What are people selling it for? Because then you can kind of almost reverse engineer what is the price that I have to buy this product at in order for me to be comparable to what everybody else is selling and also make a profit on it. Okay. I want to unpack a little bit of that because I feel like you brought up some really cool things. I want to come back to the looking at what other people are doing, but I want to talk about pricing for a sec because I know pricing for a lot of people is something that... I think in general, just a lot of people struggle with, uh, you know, what's like, what is your baseline calculation or calculator when you are advising people on pricing? Do you recommend like a percentage of, you know, you should be doing 50% profit or you should do, you know, the two times, what is it like two times, two times three or two times, three times two. I don't know. There's like so many, everyone teaches different things. And I think it depends on the industry and niche that you're in, but profit is such a huge thing. And I know so many of you listening are not charging enough money for your products. And you need people like Christina here to be yelling at you to be making sure that you're making profit. So what? how do you advise people when they're at that stage of 
of price? What do you tell people? I have a pricing calculator that I work with my clients through. And so we put in like all in what are their costs? Mm -hmm. What is there going to be their cost of goods sold? What's going to be their reoccurring price? So if I were to purchase this at 500 quantity again, it's going to cost me this. So I need to make sure I make enough here to cover what I've already spent plus my inventory. So it's not necessarily like a quick and dry calculation. Um, mm-hmm. On average, it's between most client customers are, um, I'm sorry, most sellers are looking at a 30 to 40% markup from what their cost of goods sold is. Mm-hmm. That's a typical calculation that's there. But it's not an exact science because, again, that goes back to your market research. You can't say, well, because I'm spending, you know, $5 to manufacture this book and I'm going to do a 40%, you know, markup on it, but everybody else is only selling the book at $7, right? Now, no (laughs) one's going to buy your product because you're so overpriced unless you can make your unique selling proposition so, so good that people are like, oh yeah, I'm willing to spend those extra dollars. So there, I wouldn't say there is an exact science to pricing. I think the guidance that's out there for a lot of sellers um, of the two times three, yeah, two times times three, Um, is good for setting like your retail price and then your wholesale price. But again, not an exact science because everybody's product is going to be different. Everybody's cost is going to be different for their cost of goods. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of manufacturers out there specifically. Um, When you're a reseller, it's a little bit different because there's so many options for you. But when you're working in the manufacturing yeah. People aren't there to work with small businesses, unfortunately. And so the smaller your quantity, the higher your price point's going to be. And so your profit margin may be a little lower for that unique, that initial launch of your product because you're ordering your quantity so small. And so your price is going to be higher on your cost of good. But keep that in mind that your next order may be double that. And so now you're going to get that 10 or 20% discount. And so now that's going to add into your profit margin because now you can increase your price there. And your next order is going to be bigger. And so you have to keep that in mind also as you're pricing your items because each order is going to bring down your cost of goods a little bit because you're going to be able to order more and more quantities as you continue to sell or you go into wholesale or you go into retail. You get someone who brings in a bigger PO for that item. So I wish I could say that it was like a quick and dirty, like, yeah, this is the math. X plus Y equals, you know, A, um, but that's just yeah. not the case. No, I love it. And I totally agree. I think it it really depends on the industry. What would you say is, what would you say is the, ba- like the lowest bare minimum profit that you would need to keep your business going? So for example, someone has cost of goods, it costs this much money and they're making like 10% profit right now. Is it, what do they do? Do they have to go back and retool things? Do they just increase their price? Cause at that point, you know, as you know, that's probably not even worth your time, <laughs> but what should someone do? Cause I know a lot of people listening right now, they are probably not making a lot of profit and they may not be aware that they're not making a lot of profit. Cause I know a lot of you are afraid to even look at your accounting. Okay. I get you. I was afraid too when I had my product-based business, but you got to look at your QuickBooks. You got to look at your numbers. You have to make sure that you are making a profit because just like Christina said, it, it will become an expensive hobby. So how do how do we fix that for people? How do they make more money? 
So first, you're making my little strategist heart cry by saying people don't want to look at their numbers because my favorite phrase to tell people is know your numbers. As soon as we start working together, we build out an entire scorecard of what your numbers need to be. So we're looking at like your orders, your profit margin, all of that, because you need to be looking at that on a monthly basis and understanding. Yeah. Um, a bare minimum profit margin probably a 15 to 20% is you're going to be your bare minimum because again you want to make sure that you're making enough to cover the cost that you've already put out plus yeah, yeah. the cost to bring in your next item. You have to understand yeah. also what your lead time is going to be because you don't want to have to sell out necessarily and have people wait another 6 weeks because now you've just lost the momentum that you've built with your initial launch. And so it's like, "Oh, great. So excited. Everybody loves the product. We're all talking about it. We're sold out. It's going to be another 6 weeks, right?" So you need to have enough money coming in mm-hmm. to be able to order so that you're not necessarily selling out because that's going to slow your growth and slow the momentum and the excitement of going in there. So I would say at a minimum, 15 to 20% profit margin is what you want to be seeing at least. Um, Ideally though, with like a 30 to 40% margin. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to come back to, what was it I wanted to come back to? like there's so many questions I want to talk about. I love talking about like launching stuff, but I know we are on a time crunch, so I'm trying to be cognizant of that. Um, So when it comes to, okay, so we talked about some basic mistakes that people are making when they are either in the manufacturing stage or launching stage. We talked about some really good tips on profit and margins. Do you advise people? I know a lot of people go by the profit first book, which I started to read recently have not finished it. I've started that book twice and I keep not being able to finish it. I think it's very overwhelming, but it's really awesome. Holy crap. It's an awesome book. Is that something that you advise your clients to read? What are your thoughts? I do. So the spreadsheet that I was mentioning before that we talk about is actually Mm -hmm. based off of profit first um, and making sure that you're paying yourself and that you're making your money back. Um, having a little bit to put into savings so that, you know, for those months that aren't so great in business that you have enough to continue to, you know, live sustainably. Um, but I do advise reading profit first. Um, and there are a lot of podcasts. I wish I knew some off the top of my head that really break down the profit first method in Mm -hmm. a more understandable way. So if you go into your podcast and you just search for product profit first, there are people who break it down a little bit because I know I've tried to read it many a times, like from start to finish and I just can't. I'm like, my brain is blown and I numbers. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot to take in. And I, again, I love numbers. I love a good spreadsheet. Like my Mm. husband has like, you know, a a mug for me that says freak in the sheets and it's like the Excel spreadsheet. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, but I read that book and my mind is blown. Funny. Like it is a lot to take in for sure. Yeah, it, it really is. But I think this, you know, I feel like I like that how this conversation has sort of shifted a lot into the pricing stuff because that's such an important part of when you are launching a business. It has to be a business. And I think from day one, even if you pay yourself a little bit, like the teeniest amount, maybe it's $20 a month, it doesn't matter. I truly feel like when you have the mindset of I am actually paying myself a little bit, 
and investing some of the money back in the business for inventory or marketing or whatever, that's that's great. But I think when you start off your business and continue to run your business and not pay yourself, I think your mindset is like screwing you over because you're almost telling yourself, oh, that this isn't a real bit, this isn't a real business. You know, it's like my little business, which I hate when right. people say that. Oh, I cringe because I get Facebook. I don't know if you get these two Facebook reminders, you know, oh, reminder from six years ago. And I'm getting, so I launched my business seven, seven plus years ago in July, but I'm getting all of the reminders of those first few months of my business from seven years ago on Facebook. And so many times when I talk about my new business, oh, you know, support my small business, like not small business, support my little, like I launched a little business. And like, when you start saying little, 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 little business, it's not good. Like you really are telling the universe, like this isn't a real thing. This isn't a, this isn't a serious business. It's not a fucking hobby. It's your business. Pay yourself, even if it's a little bit of money. So I really, I'm glad that you touched on the profit, the profit first, paying yourself. Cause I think it's, it, I think it's such an important thing. And I know so many people listening are probably not paying themselves. So, and it is, it's definitely a mindset switch. I worked with a client who yep. they had been already in business for probably a year and a half at the time, and they had yet to pay themselves. Mm. And, you know, they, I was like, but what, do, I don't understand. What do you, what do you mean you're not paying yourself? And now granted they were in a different space. They were in the tech space. And so there was a lot of investment in terms of development and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like they had investors, they had some revenue coming in. There was no reason why they couldn't even pay themselves a small because there is, there's a mindset switch that goes mm -hmm. off when yeah. you're not paying yourself because it is then a hobby. I, you know, I create like signs that I'll do, you know, once a year at Christmas time, like, oh, you know, make your countdown to Christmas sign and I'll personalize it for your family. It's like my little creative outlet, but it's literally that it's my little creative outlet. I don't make any real money off of it. It's just something fun that I do. I don't promote mm. it anywhere. It's just a little thing, but my business, yeah. that's my business. <laughs> don't yeah. call it small. Don't call me a little business owner. Yeah. I'm a female founder and this is what I do. I love the, how's your little, like friends, how's your, oh, how's your little business? How's your little yeah. hobby? Yes. yes. Anyway, that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, tell everyone how they can work with you. Tell everyone what services you offer and tell people where they can find you and connect with you. What, you know, social media, your website, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. So my website is theproductdoula.com. You can also find me on uh, in your earbuds at uh, the Product Doula Presents podcast, which is a podcast for e-commerce business owners. Um, I highly recommend our episode that Carrie and I did earlier this year on having raving super fans. Um, hey. And then how you can work with me. So if you are launching a business, I do offer a full service launch management. So this is really helping you to set up your business foundation so that you can not only bring your product to market and launch and scale, but that you can continue to grow and sustain your business long term. This is like having basically a fractional COO in your business, helping you to get it to that next level. In addition to that, if you've already launched and you're in that growth space and you're going through 
all of the ups and downs that are is being a business owner, I offer a unlimited support package. And so what that looks like is it's basically having a strategist in your back pocket. You have unlimited Voxer support with me, as well as up to three Zoom meetings a month where we can strategize and look at your pricing strategy. We look at your business holistically to say, you know, where are your operations? What's going on in your inventory? Um, and so Again, you can visit me at productdoula.com, reach out, schedule a clarity call. I am not a salesy person, so we will chat during that call. And if it's a good fit, at the end, I will send you a proposal. I'm not even going to give you a price on the call. I'll send you a proposal, and then you can tell me yes or no if that's the right fit for you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. So nice to chat with you again and just hear you know, some fun tips on launching and mistakes and profit and all that kind of good stuff that goes into all of the product business world. So thank you so much, Christina. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you love this episode, please go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and then take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me in it at Carrie A. Fitzgerald. My name is in the show notes. Thank you so much. And I'll see you guys next week.